the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're tapping into that big Dickens energy with the BBC's new take on A Christmas Carol and continuing to get into the festive spirit with the Christmas special of Idris Elba's In the Long Run. If you're not of a festive disposition, do not worry, though. We also have an in-depth study of workplace bullying in the form of ITV's Sticks and Stones. <laughs> Something for everyone this week. <laughs> I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the penultimate regular podcast of 2019 as we head into the final week before Christmas. Terry has taken the opportunity to have a few well-deserved days off. She's got her feet up somewhere, presumably binge-watching the entire first season of The Witcher in preparation for next week's podcast. But in her stead, we have once again drafted in a worthy replacement. She is the co-runner of the Bechdel Test Fest and, despite my entreaties, has so far resisted suggestions to start a companion festival, the Belen Test Fest, <laughs> in which all entries must contain at least one conversation between two characters who are not Belens about something that doesn't involve another Belend, uh, something that Succession and indeed this podcast would not pass. It is Beth Webb. How are you, Beth? Just, well, now I'm absolutely dandy. Thank you very much. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, Belend test fest. I reckon it's a thing. Yeah. Make it a thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll pause everything else and Do off it. I go. The cool. Belend test fest must happen. <laughs> Bored middle-aged white man tells tells woman what to do in yes. the first few minutes yes. of the podcast. That's going well. Great. You'd be inundated, but we wouldn't be able to keep up no. with demand, I don't think. Yeah. But Thank you. You've heard him already, but joining Beth and myself is a man who we've come to love and admire, even if he has demonstrated that he can't tell his 90s boy bands apart. He is a TV critic of no small renown and recently joined forces with Ronan Keating to form the unexpected reunion supergroup Boyd Zone. It's Boyd Hilton. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Yeah. Have you 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 sorted your boy zones from your West Life since uh, since that little yeah. faux pas? Those I'm I'm good on nineties boy bands, but those two particularly are confusing. I mean, well, they're a bit anywhere. interchangeable. Aren't they're they? very highly interchangeable. I mean, interchangeable. they've become literally interchangeable <laughs> since they melded together so, into so one entity. Is it West Zone or Boy Life? Like, what is it? West Zone. I don't know. Again, showing my ignorance. Here. Beth, you're a millennial. You must know this. What, uh, what is <laughs> sure. what is popular beat combo Boy Zone and West Life's amalgamation called? I have absolutely no idea, James. I'm sorry See, to let you down. I need Ben Travis for this. He knows this stuff. Like yeah, I needed he? to write this this morning, and I turned around to the office to ask. And no one knew. I asked John Nugent, who's a rubbish millennial, and uh, and Ben wasn't there. Ben's my touch zone. He's my he's my youth whisperer, and uh, and and I didn't have him. I can only apologise well, for that. Never mind. Believe, well, I've just checked. It's Boy's Life with a Z. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah. Which is, which is a terrible name for a band. Better than West Boys, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, so well. It's pretty close to Boyd Life. Yeah. It is. It is. I want to see that happen, Boyd. Make mm, it happen. Okay. You must know Ronan Keating. He's got to be a friend uh, of yours. Yeah, very, yeah, me and him are like that. Me and Ronan. Ronan Keating, hot fact for you, came into your web chat with newwoman.co.uk wow. in, in, I want to say, the early noughties, and, uh, you know, before Beth was born. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he came in, and he came into the office because we shared an office with them. And he came in and he went, oh, you work at Empire? He goes, oh, I'm so jealous of your job. And I looked at him and was wow. like, oh, fuck off. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, boy's own. Well, and it's, yes, please come here and transcribe this interview that I've just done with Adrian Lester. Yeah, and I'll swap and go and perform at Wembley. Thanks very much. He has acted in films, hasn't he, Ronan Keating? He's done a few bits and bobs. Yeah. Weirdly, it was around the time that Sophia Miles was in something, and I can't remember, but she'd right. been one of his videos. Yeah. I think that was right. a point of conversation okay. as well. But uh, it's possible this is not 
my most compelling anecdote. Are you so, going to edit this out? Absolutely not. Okay. And uh, so let's move on to what we've been watching. Beth, we've got an hour and a half. Tell us everything you've watched since you were last on the podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, I'll tell you what I watched that I absolutely loved this week. Um, so I interviewed Sharon Horgan for the magazine um, and to beef up watched um, This Way Up. Oh, yeah. That she co-stars yes, yes, yes. and does everything with uh, Ashley and that was gorgeous. It's great, gorgeous, isn't it? gorgeous, gorgeous little mm. show. What a fantastic debut um, from Ashling. So I absolutely love that. Um, so that was one. Uh, beefing up on Maisel, that was great. Needed. A... See, I don't I, like. We reviewed season two of Maisel. Yeah. And I kind of like it was fine, but I can't like. You know, not Emmys, whatnot. You yeah. know, it's got it gets a lot of attention, and it's never really landed mm. with me. Well, it's relentlessly positive. And That's Lord, probably why. Lord knows I needed that this week. So um, I was very pleased for that. It's just been renewed for its fourth season, as we know. So plowing through that. And then I finally, finally blitzed Barry season one. Very good. Um, over the weekend and obviously adored it. Is Noho Hank your spirit animal? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> good Lord, yes. What a delightful character. Uh-huh. What a delightful character that man is. Every time he was on, on set, I was just squealing. Just squealing. What a, what a wonderful man. I know. He's glorious. I well, love him. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect character. I loved him. And it's directed by Hiro. Some of it's directed by Hiro Murai, who did a lot of Atlanta as well. Mm. Very in-demand TV director. Very here for him. So been busy. Good, good. Escaping <laughs> reality. Boyd, how have you been avoiding reality this week? Well, it's been my birthday week, James. Oh, happy birthday, Boyd. <laughs> happy birthday, Boyd. Thanks. Um, and what did the birthday fairy bring you this year? The birthday fairy brought me uh, two screenings that I hosted. Uh, one on my actual birthday, which was Dracula, which I mentioned last week before yes. I hosted it. So I'd already watched um, the episodes. Well, I've watched episode one and two mm. of Dracula, which is which starts on BBC on New Year's Day. Um, created by the Sherlock team. In Every element of the Sherlock team is involved. So obviously Stephen Moffat, um, uh, creating it, writing it with Mark Gatiss, Sue Virtue producing it, it, down to the music. David Arnold does the music as he did for Sherlock. Um, um, some of the directors are on board as well, three different directors. Anyway, it is, I mean, we're going to review it properly. But as I, can't, I think I said last week it was brilliant. I'm saying, get, watching it on the big screen, it's stunningly brilliant. <laughs> and almost certainly embargoed, but never mind. Um, I don't think it is embargoed <laughs> really? because, uh, no, it's not. It's not like, yeah, BBC is very relaxed about this kind of stuff because also it's all going to fe- it's all featuring in the Christmas double issues of the TV magazines uh, and they're all out. Christmas Radio Times is out. Well, we'll be getting into this, I think, probably yeah, next but we'll, week. Yeah, we'll, but we? we will go in depth mm. next week. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> then the next morning, that was a. That was at like kind of eight o'clock on my birthday on Monday. Then the very next morning at eight thirty a.m., I hosted a screening of Harlan Coben's *The Stranger*, which is coming up on Netflix in January, January the thirtieth. And I'm a huge Harlan Coben fan. And I hosted the Q and A with him and the cast. Richard Armitage is in it. Um, Siobhan Finneran's in it. Um, uh, Jennifer Saunders is in it. Absolute legend, and she was on Brilliant Form. And it's, it's you know, Harlan Coben's storytelling is unbeatable. Mm. He is the king of twisty-turning mystery thriller plots, and this one is as fantastically twisty-turning and compelling as ever. So that was very nice. And on top of all that, that's all forthcoming stuff that, I'm, that I've seen. Oh, um, you're about to tell me that you've watched all the previous seasons of The Expanse, and you're now up to date. <laughs> yeah, i watched all The Expanse. No, no, I haven't watched any more of The Expanse, but I will catch up with The Expanse. But what I have done is I've caught up, I've watched a little bit of... Of 
The Wars. See, I, that's on my list. Right. I wasn't going to watch it. Right. And then I thought, this looks like the kind of thing I yeah. might enjoy. Well, I, I, I think of myself as an aficionado of Netflix shit shows. <laughs> the shows, the Netflix, I've mentioned this before, but Netflix shows that don't get released on a Friday yeah. are the ones to look out for. <laughs> they, but this, this came out on a Thursday, and the last big budget Netflix show that came out on a Thursday was The I Land, as in I Land, oh. which was absolutely shocking. This is the last time I was on, yeah. 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 One of the worst shows of the year. So I thought, well, I've got to catch up with Vios. And they don't give you screeners. They don't give critics, you know, a chance to see it beforehand. All the signs are there when you see a show like this. And sure enough, V-Wars, which is basically about a viral vampire plague situation yes. with Ian Somerhalder, who That's is right. exec producer, he's directed some of it. Of he's Lost in it, and the Vampire Lost, Diaries fame. Exactly, Lost in the Vampire Diaries fame. I interviewed him in Lost in Hawaii back in the day. Of course you did. Lovely man. <laughs> and this seems to be a complete... Summerhelder project, he could not be more involved. And I have to say, it's not as bad as the island, um, which was terrible and was created by quite, you know, kind of experienced people. Um, but it is pretty bad. The script is te- is pretty poor. Visually, it's quite good and it's quite pacey and it's quite exciting. And it's kind of, it's like trying to do for vampires what um, The Walking Dead did for zombies a bit, basically, yeah. is, my, is my glib take on it. Um, but there are lines like, this could make Ebola look like the chicken pox party. And things like that. And it just is like when they try and be witty, it's really, really terrible and cheesy. So, but as I say, aficionados of bad Netflix shows, the ones they don't like to talk any attention to, should check it out. Well, speaking of bad Netflix shows, I have heroically, as promised last <laughs> episode, been watching you. Uh, I am <laughs> not now me. just not literally you. I've not been outside yeah. your house board, you know, no. in the bushes with a pair yeah. of binoculars. Nothing Fair like enough. that. I have been watching you, and I am now just over halfway through season one. And well, when it began, <laughs> I was a bit like, hmm, this was interesting. How is there 10 hours of this? <laughs> like, stalky guy dates girl. That's essentially the show. 10 hours of it. And I was like, there's no way this can last. And yet, I am now over five hours in <laughs> and still happily watching this. I particularly enjoyed the Charles Dickens Cosplay oh, yes. Festival, oh, which was an yes. unexpected interlude. I've got to be honest with you. And... <laughs> The thing with you is, like, he's clearly a sociopathic stalker. And so you, you right off the bat, you've kind of got a problem with your central character. But I thought what's genius about this is they make all the other characters just unlikable enough yeah. that yeah. you don't mind him. Yeah. Because she's deeply irritating. Oh, and her worst. friends are the worst. Like, And, and the guy who, uh, you know, ends up, well, let's say, a character has an unfortunate incident. And you're like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'm on board with this as well. <laughs> and they've managed that Dexter trick of making the deplorable character sympathetic. Um, and Dexter had a leg up because he, the people he targeted were, you know, killers themselves. Whereas, you know, he's just targeting people who are bellends. So, you know, mm. but, but you let him get away with it. I think Ben Badgley in this really, really sells this. Uh, really, really yes, sells he's great. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm going to watch this through to the end because I think there's a possibility we might be reviewing you season two. Oh next god, week. I hope so. If they give it, now, I don't know if I, I need to. I need to ask them now to give it to us. If they don't give it to us they next ple- week, they bloody we won't be reviewing it because it'll fall in between <laughs> oh, Christmas and New Year. I can't wait. Right. So, Funnily enough, when you said um, how uh, you know it's ten episodes and you can work out how they got, my, I watched it. It must have been like nine, ten months ago when it when it arrived yeah, first, yeah. and uh, all I remember very much the first few episodes and the last episode. That whole bit in the middle is very, very a blur to me, except for the Dickens <laughs> Festival, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And all the characters, like parents, and everyone suddenly arrived at this festival semi coincidentally. Don't they? Is there any any explanation? I remember no. thinking this is absolutely ridiculous, but it's. It, 
it's you get scene after scene of massive implausibility yeah. in the, in you, which I love. They don't they're shameless. In the, isn't it the first episode where he shags like, the, the two of them shag each other on the sofa with the with the, yeah. the curtains open was, in she, New York with like literally half the city watching them from and outside. She starts wanking with a cushion again yes. in front of the full length yes. window, and you're like a little privacy, some blinds, you know, maybe some yeah. curtains. Yeah, I, it was. It I was, loved it. Yeah. It, because that, that's what I love. So I think like in Netflix um, shit shows, there's like <laughs> absolutely brilliant quality shows at the top. And then there's kind of the terrible shit shows that aren't really worth bothering with because they're really terrible, yeah. like Island and yeah. V Wars. And then in the middle, you've got these trashy, yeah. cheesy Listen, ones, which what, are actually... What or whatever it's called. Yeah, which are actually really watchable mm. and enjoyable. That's my, that's my theory. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm going to press on with it. I am liking it. Have you? I, did you watch it? I did. Yeah, I was a little bit because it came out around the time that like the Ted Bundy Zac Efron film came out mm, as well. There yeah. was a real thirst <laughs> for Pen Badgley in this uh, in this show, and I remember girls tweeting him and saying, "You know, oh, you can stalk me," and him just openly tweeting <laughs> Ew, back and saying, "Please don't, <laughs> please don't do that." Like and openly like to his father as being like, "Please, yeah, please don't think this. This is not a joking this matter. Is not, and, this is yeah. not what I." This is not what I want. Please don't <laughs> let oh. me do this. Um, so he got quite the quite the following for it. I mean, um, literally. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it is. It is extraordinary. Some of the things that happen. There's literally a bit where he's met her and all her friends, and yet she goes out on a night out, and he's just on the next table, giving them a little bit of side eye. And oh, he's yeah. like, "They've yeah, all that. met you. How have they not seen you? You're right there." Hasn't he got a hat on? Though, yeah, he's, like, he's wearing a cap. Oh, come on, and he's going full Christopher Reeve yes. in Superman. You can't see me. I have headwear. Mm. Uh, yeah, fuck. It up. works. It's fine. Well, before we press on, a note from our sponsor. This episode of the Pilot TV Podcast is brought to you by His Darker Materials, only on Spotify. This podcast is the perfect companion to your watch-through of the BBC's His Dark Materials and examines every episode, providing keen insights and drawing your attention to details you almost certainly overlooked. The show has featured an array of special guests, including Dakota Blue Richards, Clark Peters, Joe Tamberg, and Ruth Wilson, and is presented by Empire's very own Helen O'Hara and the Cinemiles' Dave Corkery. It's a brilliant podcast and a must for Pullmanites or indeed anyone who's been watching the show. Be sure to check out his darker materials only on Spotify. Right, I believe it is time for news and what better place to start than the Golden Globe nominations. The answer, of course, is anywhere because the Golden Globes are something I have very little time for at the best of times. However, let's get into it. Uh, Boy, did you have any strong feelings about the nominations? Um, oh, well, of course, I haven't got my list in front of me, but I will get my list in front. We'd have been nice. Beth, did you have any <laughs> strong yeah. feelings about the... Uh... Well, know that I had plenty of strong feelings about the movie side of the Golden Globes. Uh, on the TV side, I'm pretty, pretty stoked, to be honest. And I think the main category for that being uh, best performance by an actress in musical or comedy which uh, I would happily see I haven't seen On Becoming a God in Central Florida so I can't I can imagine Kirsten Dunst being incredible but I would be so happy if anyone else from that category walked away with that so we've got Christina Applegate with Dead to Me which is one of my shows of the year I adored that show that's a top tier Netflix for me uh, <laughs> Rachel Brosnahan we've got Miguel Maisel mm. uh, Natasha Leone in Russian Doll which was just the role she was born to play and then uh, and then Phoebe Waller-Bridge she's going to win it Waller-Bridge yeah no it's going to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Fleabag obviously but very happy of any of those walked away with that award. That was that was the perfect category to me. Um, so that was nice. I would have liked to see more for Succession. That was my one takeaway, really. Oh, Succession is nominated for best 
drama, isn't it? Best drama, and, and then uh, Kieran Culkin's up for best support. Oh no, my Brian Cox. Cox. Do you know what? I take that yeah. back. I fully take yeah. that back. <laughs> we interviewed. Uh, ja- well, I interviewed Brian Cox. James helped. I, I uh, yeah. I sat. <laughs> I sat in the room and kept my mouth shut, lest he realise that I don't watch or like the show, and yeah. then shout at me to fuck off. Yeah. It was the day after the Globes were announced, so I asked him. That was, my first question was about what, being nominated for best yeah. actor. He held forth very fascinatingly, and we're going to hear that in a f- future podcast. Aren't it we, will James? be in the review of the um, special. Uh, it's interesting, you know, obviously, famously, the Golden Globes are ludicrous, mm-hmm. as, you, as you alluded to. Ludicrous by the old shit, voted for <laughs> by about 100, yeah. maybe. A bunch of international insane international journalists. But, but, we, particularly in the TV nominations, and I think this is historically true, mm. they're kind, they kind of sometimes pick out stuff that other people don't, and often that they make they do make good decisions. For example, I would say that the morning show, yes. for example, yes, which, which got quite a few nominations, including both two in the lead actress, Jennifer mm. Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, for example, we've been holding forth about how great it is and how it gets better and better and better as it goes on. And they're and the I, only and other I, people who are watching Right, and the so. only other people are the, are the, are the Golden Globes <laughs> voters, apparently. So that's good. I think the Kaminsky Method's nominated. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a show that often gets missed out that was really, really good in, in the same category as Fleabag, so it's obviously going to lose. Although, having said it's obviously going to lose, the Golden Globes will also surprise people with their eventual winners as well. So mm. we think, I'm assuming Fleabag's going to win a lot of awards, but... I mean, they may just go crazy, and we don't we don't necessarily know. Um, and I think, like, the list for limited series, Catch-22, Fossey Verdon, which also got better after we reviewed it, Unbelievable. Chernobyl. Chernobyl, of course. Um, so there are there is good stuff there. And in fact, most, I would say, almost all the TV nominations are valid. Mm. The loudest roughly. voice, though, I thought was an odd inclusion. Yeah, except the loudest voice, <laughs> which <laughs> was the Fox mm. News drama, yeah, which, I, which we didn't particularly like. Quite. But it does have its fans. But yeah, that's got quite a few nominations in it. Russell Crowe was nominated for that. Yes, and the show is. was nominated, yeah. But, you know, there's brilliant people. Meryl Streep, Big Little Lies, Helen Bonham Carter, The Crown, Emily Emily Watts for Chernobyl. Mm. Nothing for When They See Us and nothing for Watchmen. Those are the two I think that really true. stood out. That's true. Watchmen maybe too just too recent. Although I did arrive at the same time as The Morning Show. So yeah. if they did The Morning no Show. Reality. Obviously, the lack of uh, Stephen Knight's C is egregious and hor- horrifying. Yes. But uh, I'm prepared to overlook it. No pun intended. <laughs> no. That's very big of you, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as long as... I think, yeah, it's the best TV series drama, Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, The Morning Show, Succession. I mean, I'd like to see Succession. I would like to see Succession, but I wonder if the, like, the Crown might win it. I feel like crown it might be The Crown with Olivia Colman behind yeah. it now as well. That's yeah. probably what it is, but... Um, yeah. yeah, but that is yeah, interesting. But, uh, yeah, but, but never as embarrassing as the, TV, as the film nominations, generally. No, no. It's a slightly more sane take on it. It's the, yeah. it's the what's a musical or comedy that bugs the shit out of me in the film side. Because yeah. I mean, this year they made a big deal out of uh, Uncut Gems. The Adam Sandler film was uh, submitted, I believe, for musical or comedy, and they recategorised it as a drama, which is fine because it is neither a musical nor a comedy. However, I believe The Martian didn't win Best Musical yeah, or Comedy. And again, much. it is neither a musical nor a fucking comedy. So, you know, all I ask you know, is a little sanity to be imposed on these fucking awards. Mm. Anyway, never mind the Golden Glows. Wasn't this week was all about the list of the best TV of the year from Pilot TV magazine. That That's is tweeted true. out by you one by one. An extraordinary feat of uh, social media. Uh, I did indeed tweet <laughs> out the Pilot TV list of the greatest TV shows of the year. And to hear about that, then go to my Twitter feed and you can follow me at James C. Dyer. Um, we will get into this properly in our review of the year oh, podcast okay. as this list of greatest shows will form the backbone of that podcast. Yeah, I mean, you can be sported um, by, list, by putting them out on your own Twitter feed. Yeah, it's also on the Empire website. Oh, but uh, but our number one of the year was... Fine. was 
Damon Lindelof's Watchmen. The whole list is available. Do seek it out or or wait for the review of the year podcast <laughs> where yeah. we will bang on about it all in painful detail. Um, do you know what was my news of the week, Boyd? <laughs> Tell us, James. The Mandalorian is oh, yeah. not the Mandalorian. Fucking hell. Did you hear this? No. So Pedro Pascal is, in many ways, quite literally, phoning it in for The Mandalorian oh, because he's not he's actually not in it. the mask. No. So this emerged. So Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard did uh, an interview where she talked about the episode that she directed, which I think was episode three, I want to say. And uh, she talked about the fact that she didn't get to work with Pedro Pascal. And we're like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, and it's, oh, no, he was he's doing Lear on Broadway. He was in rehearsals for it. So obviously, you know, he wasn't available. And so literally, he's not in the armour at any point in the episode. What but, does he do? Well, quite. He comes in and he did the voiceover afterwards. But what's, what, it, what is hilarious for this sort of science fiction western show is the one in the armour is John Wayne's grandson, who happens to be the sort of stand-in stunt double for Pedro Pascal on the wow. show. There's actually two, to be fair, there's two of them. There's John Wayne's grandson and another one, and those two were the guys in the armour for this episode. So now this begs the question... Is he in any of the episodes? Or is he literally just the voice of the Mandalorian? Because he doesn't take the mask off, so I understand it. So, you know, it could be anyone. could be me. could be Beth. It's you, isn't it, Boyd? You're the Mandalorian. <laughs> I'm the short Mandalorian, yeah. yeah. Although I haven't seen Pedro, Pedro Pascal. isn't even that tall, though. Is the Mandalorian? Presumably, the Mandalorian is quite tall. I've never stood next to him. I could. <laughs> I, could I mean, I don't know why I presume that. But they could be short heroes as well, can't yeah. they? Hey, you could be in Baby Yoda for I was all about we know. Say, yeah. I mean, I'm much closer Baby to Baby Yoda, Yoda <laughs> than I am the Mandalorian. Wow. So, mm. defrauded, defrauded by the Mandalorian. <laughs> Yeah. Going back to Dracula, um, oh, yeah. I really enjoyed the controversy around whether or not Dracula is a bisexual. That was a big news story oh, yes. uh, this week. And Stephen Moffat coming out and saying, don't be ridiculous. This is from my Q&A, I think. Oh, is it really? I think so, because I did ask about it, yeah. Because, yeah, one of the papers um, uh, one of the papers said um, Dracula swings both ways, was, I think, their, their headline, or does Dracula, something like that. Because in the, in the drama, I'm not going to spoil it, but they definitely make very specific allusions to the fact that Dracula possibly has has sexual entanglements with men. I'll leave it at that. So it was an interesting thing. So I did ask about that. And, and, and yeah, Moff, Moffat was fairly dismissive. He's like, oh, you know, he's, it's not a sexual thing. He's just, you know, he's just sucking the blood of, of, of men and women. This is not whoever. A, a new idea, though. No, no, no. It's it's all, it, well, then Mark Gatiss pointed out that it's, all, it's in the book. It's yeah. all there. And they're effectively, I'm paraphrasing, seducing yes. whoever he it's needs a, to yeah, to get yeah. their blood. It's about seduction. But, you know... Yeah, Moffat actually made a joke like about Tinder feeds and stuff. He was very funny about it. But I actually, but yeah, it is interesting, and they, they is they they do kind of go for it head on in terms of grappling with the idea of it. Well, I'm very here, here for that. Very yeah. here for for Bay Clay Vines, mm. Here for it. Just let just let people interpret the character how you want. I reckon. Right. Exactly. Is my Let Dracula be Dracula. Yes. No, one of my favourite <laughs> films, and indeed novels I very much enjoy, are uh, Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Yes. And there's, what I like about that is it takes it, there's a real sort of uh, fluidity to the sexuality of the characters in that. And it is, it's all about seduction and blood, and it's not about actual sex, it's about, you know... It's all about blood, blood play, if I, you will. I just, uh, I just, <laughs> unfortunately, if only the viewers could see. I like the way you went fluid, and there was some great hand movement oh, there yeah. from James. Oh, yeah. going, fluidity, my, 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 <laughs> fluidity, my, my like fluidity, fluidity, gesticulation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
That was that was my seduction boy, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh. Good lord. Excellent. Good lord indeed. Hot under the collar over here. <laughs> and then I just wanted to give a, a little shout out to um, Carol Spinney, who passed away this week, who was the puppeteer for Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. And right. he was 85. Wow, that's good. And he served for a really that's long a- time. And had such a great career, like got to perform with Johnny Cash and James Taylor. Um, with Big Bird, he got to meet like Mr. Rogers. He got to interview Dave Grohl. I want to be a puppeteer on Sesame Street. They had a great time. Not the only obituary this week, unfortunately. René Aubergenois, who played Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, also passed away this week, which is very, very sad. Um, and I'm, I, I, I loved him. He was one of my favourite characters on Deep Space Nine. I can tell by both your expressions. You don't know what the first thing that I'm talking about. No, I know René, played... René Aubergenois very well. He was yes. a brilliant TV uh, actor. He was in he loads was of great things. He was in the Legal. Yeah, he was in a brilliant episode of Frasier. Mm. Carry on. He's a fantastic character actor. And, and he was uh, in some, some Star Trek show. And I think, yeah. Yes, the best Star Trek show and also the most soulful character as Odo the changeling who was conflicted because obviously he was a member of Bajoran security but also by race one of the founders of the Dominion their sworn enemies and he got it on with Kira Norris which is weird because he was a liquid shapeshifter and there's all kinds of shit going on there yeah that's the weird bit could turn fluid. himself into anything I mean he was literally <laughs> he was <there>. literally <laughs> gender fluid really? literally gender fluid um, wow uh, moving on from those those announcements yes the big day is coming. January, well, in America, January 19th is the day that many, many, many of us have been waiting a long time for. I am, of course, talking about the premiere date of the new season of Kirby Enthusiasm. Ooh. The 10th season. It's something like four years, I think, since the last series. Is it really? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's always much longer than you think. Yeah, it's a long, <laughs> long time. And this is the, this is the 10th season. Um, now... So that's going to be on HBO in America. And traditionally, every single series so far has been shown on Sky Atlantic in this country, uh, slash now TV. I have asked the people, the representatives of Sky Atlantic this week, whether to confirm they're going to show it. Because they always traditionally show it the day after it airs in America very quickly because there is a huge thirst for it among Larry David and comedy aficionados like you, James. Yes. But they have yet to confirm to me that they're showing it. And I'm now slightly worried that they might not show it, A, quickly enough, B... Ever, I mean, they've got the first look deal with HBO for their stuff, but I'm a bit worried they haven't yet just gone, yeah, of course we're showing it, but they haven't yet. But the trailer's out, it looks fantastic, John Hamm's in it, everything about it is incredibly exciting. Yeah. Now... (laughs) Boy, I'm excited. Thanks, Beth. I'm excited. You heard me at John Hamm. John Hamm does some great comedy carries, doesn't he? Does. he? We could do a whole episode yeah. on John Hamm. He is Hamm's. genius. Sergio is a funny, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I don't do sketches and I don't find them funny. You know the Sergio? Have you seen the Sergio sketch where he's the sax playing demonic curse thing? Have you not seen this? So it's no. kind of like, a bit like Drag Me to Hell. I can't remember. I think it's In Saturday what? Night Live. Oh, I want okay. to say it's Saturday Night Live. Probably. Where someone is cursed with Sergio. And it means he, topless, comes through playing a saxophone like uh, Tim Capello in The Lost Boys at all inopportune moments. And it's genius. Oh. Look out. Like, Google John Ham Sergio if you haven't seen it. John it's brilliant. Ham Sergio. Okay, um, but, Boyd, what I was going to say. So, Kirby Enthusiasm is obviously in January. Mm. But what's more important in January and which I cannot curb my enthusiasm for is, of course, Star Trek Picard. Now, yesterday, Boyd, I spent the entire day doing something. Do you know what that was? It was writing mm, I do, the yeah. you've been banging on pilot TV Star Trek Picard feature. <laughs> yeah. And luckily for you, Boyd, I have it here. <laughs> Would you like to see it? Yeah, as I presented it to Terry. Unfortunately, you preempted that. Again, you got you keep spoiling things on social media because I've seen this on social ah. social social media, and it is very funny. Thank to you. be fair to you, thank you. I am leafing through page after page of gobbledygook, aka Klingon. Yes, yeah. I presented my Star Trek really Picard is. feature. 
to Terry as it was meant to be read in the original Klingon. It says Klingon in big capital letters at the top of the page. It does yes. say Klingon it's in big capital letters. It's in a wacky font as well, James, even for... <laughs> yeah, it Avenir. Is. Avenir is my chosen writing font. Is that I love the it. official font yeah, of no, Klingon? No, no. I mean, Klingon isn't normally written in Avenir, but in this case, it is. It's, uh, you know, the first line of my feature. The, uh... There you go. Drenched. Wow. Bit more phlegm than you would normally get from a cover feature, but there you go. You can read that, unfortunately, in its English translation, so a slightly lesser version, when it drops in the next issue of Pilot TV in January. Did we ever do Frasier when we used to do the, the comedy thing? Was it called Funny or Dire? Yes. Thing? Did we ever do Frasier? What you know, is it called? Well, I mean, it's so long ago. Thank God we got did rid we of that. Did Yes, we did, because we did the one... Did we do the Klingon episode? No. Oh, that, that No, we did the Ham Radio episode. Oh, yeah, I love that. Mm. But, but you know there's a brilliant episode all about Klingon no. where there's a character called Noel in Frasier okay. who is the you of Frasier he is, <laughs> he is a massive no, annoying nerd right. who constantly gets on Frasier and everyone else's nerves mm-hmm. particularly Roz he's obsessed with Roz he's like stalking Roz and he's obsessed with Star Trek and it's it, all the way through the series of Frasier he, he is this brilliantly funny character and it gets to the point where Frasier's son's having his bar mitzvah and he because he needs a favour from Noel he gets Noel to train him and and, he, and the, the son does his whole bar mitzvah speech in Klingon wow yeah it's brilliant. You'll love it. But it's 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 taken on a life of its own, wasn't it? Klingon was the first, to the best of my knowledge, the first fantasy language that was properly planned out. Like people did degrees in it and stuff. But now, can't you? <laughs> no, you can. You, you can sure. live in America. I Someone's swear to God, you can do degrees in Klingon. I'm not saying I have one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you can now. Like, didn't they do the whole of Dothraki and the whole of High Valyrian from from Game of Thrones? There are many fantasy languages now. Ugh. You know, I fully expect conversational Fremen to be on the curriculum when Denny Villeneuve's Dune is released next year. So. Uh, uh, you know, good times for fancy lovers. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to news. Uh, Ridley Scott is developing a gaming thriller for Queeby, which I'm not going to talk about. Uh, HBO Max, however, is doing a vacation spin-off oh, called yeah, The this, Griswolds, yeah. starring Johnny Galecki from mm. uh, Big Bang Theory. Mm. Wonderful. Oh, um, Nicholas Spoon, who's my, who's my Greg Frisson session? He's going to play the founder of WeWork for a new show, which Ooh. is very exciting. Andrew Newman, his name is... Um, so yeah, more TV work for for my sweet dear Greg. This is going to be lovely. That's interesting. Yeah, and you see, and, and you you um, finally surely. I mean, we can't we can't 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 milk this news any longer. Um, the Orlando Blue and Amazon Studios deal. Did you see that? No. They're starting, yeah, they're signing exclusive. The first Carnival Roniverse. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh. Well, I knew you'd be excited because you are a Carnival Row. You are the Carnival Row fat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's face it. I'm a Carnival Rower. You are a Carnival Rower. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, they've signed an exclusive first look deal with Orlando Bloom for future TV projects for our prime video customers, which I do find intrinsically amusing. It clearly say, does Beth. Why? why is it? It's funny, isn't it? There is something funny about it because I don't know, like, even in even in Carnival Row, he's not that great. He's, such a he's got a dodgy accent. He's such a d- it's not exactly. ideal to have a first look deal with a man who is most famous in the last decade for naked paddleboarding that's all I'm saying <laughs> it is interesting yeah but yeah that Amazon, Amazon Prime's gone down that route oh. good good mm. more Carnival Row Carnival Row spin-offs I told you my favourite episode of Carnival Row was the throw, uh, sort of flashback episode which showed Tin and Og before the occupation <laughs> like that I want to see that I want to see the prequel spin-off <laughs> well, Carnival Row show I mean it's quite likely what else the fuck else is it going to do <laughs> <laughs> Right. Is that it for news? God, hope so. Okay. We are done with news and we'll move swan-like onto this week's reviews. 
first up this week, we have ITV's Sticks and Stones. This is from Dr. Foster creator Mike Bartlett and is a three-part show billed as a psychological thriller, which I think is a slightly odd thing to call it, but sure. Uh, this stars Ken Wosu and tackles the corrosive effects of workplace bullying. Beth, was this acceptable practice or one to refer to HR? <laughs> oh my God. The latter, I think. I don't know why you've, why you've given me this. Psychological it's... thriller though. I didn't think this felt like a psychological thriller. It was tepid at best. And I like, I've read one of the synopses on it and it's like, all oh, the qualms of middle management. And it's like, who, who on earth cares about that? No, you either want the people at the bottom or the people at the top. You don't want the sort of person that kind of sits mid-table and kind of takes notes, for God's sake. No, no, it was a no from it was a no from old Beth Webb on this. Um just incredibly tepid. I don't know what they were trying to say. They they either needed to go super no, they just needed to go all out. I think if you're going into a psychological thriller in a workplace as bland as that, you've got to throw drama to the walls. You've got to go mm. absolutely batshit. But it was, it did, like, to me, it felt like it wasn't sure whether it was a comedy or a, I wouldn't even call it a thriller, a drama, in that it felt it felt to me like The Office without the jokes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it had all the Fremdscheimen, like it was excruciating and it was an awful place to work and it had all of that stuff. But it wasn't funny, but it wasn't believably dramatic either. And I wasn't quite sure what we were supposed to get from it. I mean, I can only assume, because we only saw first episode, that in episode two, he flips and there's like a mass workplace shooting and he just slaughters everyone. And then it takes on a, a really dark edge. But I don't know what this first episode was. It wasn't enough to make me care what happens in the next one. <laughs> it's not a comedy, you idiot. It's, it's nowhere near a comedy. Maybe it has it's, it's, yeah, but I don't laugh at comedy, so for me right. the distinction is minimal. That is so interesting. <laughs> this is an intense... Like, I'll tell you what it's trying to be is an intense psychological thriller What's it? about bullying in the workplace in like Hull or somewhere it's on Reading. a really I think it is Reading which it is, is Reading which I is, thought it was Reading that's fair enough I, I mean, mean this it's is, not this is people's I'm lives from... Beth These are, this, is, this, this is everyday people listen I'm from Swindon oh. I can well and truly drag <laughs> Reading if I want to I, awesome. I really liked it I'm, I'm sorry of course it's you Mike Bartlett of course you did because it's good it's Mike Bartlett <laughs> who did a brilliant job what Mike Bartlett does it with, he did it with Dr. Foster and he's done it with other subjects, is he takes the everyday um, subject of, 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 for example, with Dr. Foster, adultery and and looks at the bigger picture of trust within a long-term marriage or relationship and he turns it into kind of high drama and in, with an intensity that really hits home. I think he's done that here with workplace bullying. I really do. And I think I found it quite difficult to watch actually I, th- I find it really I think it oh, really so did I but I just found it yeah, excruciating not... <laughs> like bearing in mind that this is an hour long episode yeah, about long. a corporate sales pitch there is only so invested I can get in a PowerPoint <laughs> it's not a comedy it's, but yeah I mean but actually the, the, that it, and I think maybe the reason why you've confused it to be in comedy is the opening scene which is has a kind of jaunty literally yes. a jaunty like musical and uh, and directorial vibe to it is when he gets up but it, to do his big and it um, goes to presentation yeah. a la like scene out of The Apprentice the other reason if you're an Apprentice fan you're going to appreciate the, the pitch that goes wrong scene which is, which is excruciating because <laughs> we've seen those in The Apprentice you think that that scene itself could have been like in The Office in because it's played like you think is this supposed to be funny it's like oh I can't yeah, get the oh, Wi-Fi right, okay. working there's errors and stuff to give you, okay I agree with that I think that 
that scene was was interestingly directed, yeah, and created with a kind of jaunty, almost almost comedic edge. But then, once it goes wrong, the the kind of I'm going to use the word horror, the horror of the situation that his fucking life is crumbling around him as 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 it becomes clear that the people at work are are bullying him quite horrendously. And you never know. And then it brings in the whole kind of paranoia. Is he being paranoid? Are they all bullying him? He's got a team of people, you know. And I thought that is incredibly effective. I'm sorry. I, I know. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not alone here. Listen, I'm not the only one. No. But I do think there's a real. There's a. It's a. It's talking about. It's doing what mainstream drama should do. It's not a genre piece. It's not. You know. It's not a kind of detective drama. It's a kind of. It's taking an everyday idea and turning it into something really interesting. I thought it was really good. Absolutely. And I think he. And, and, and by the way, the cast great. Um, he's brilliant in the lead and the uh, excellent woman from Ben Miller is in it as the kind of you know, is the boss who you think is going to be a complete twat and isn't yet I mean he's you know he's fairly kind of smug and annoying but he's not completely horrendous um, and and yeah I think it's good but I concur I concur this subject matter absolutely should be addressed I just think there's a better way of telling that story yeah, and some big flaws in the story because as you say he fudges the presentation at the beginning he goes home to his wife and child tells them and they're both like oh so Disneyland next year then don't don't tell your child you're going to Disneyland until the tickets are I mean, in your hand definitely. until the tickets are in your hand you do not tell that child they're going to Disneyland Inc- like, unconvincing parents you're boy. furious about the Disneyland on himself. Issue. like it tapped into something quite <laughs> no I'm joking but no I completely concur it's it's an important subject matter it's something that really is present in in you know corporate Britain corporate everywhere mm. but there's a better way of telling the story and it was far too long and, too and long for me you say it's not play for comedy it's bear, in mind, bear in mind bear in mind bear in mind with this like, yeah. there's a, a running gag which it escalates that's two um, more hours sorry sweet with positive. post-it <laughs> notes which yes is a bullying thing but it's it, I mean it's not a million miles away from stapler and jelly and you've got the bit where he's someone <laughs> me- messes really with the clock on his messes with the clock on his iPad and like oh it's the wrong time and then he goes running to a meeting in his pyjamas and you're like how is this not semi-comedy? Like, it, it just, it's like, pick a genre. It just, no, I'm sorry. Like, I think if you're going to do this, as, and literally bell it in the synopsis, it's a psychological thriller. I love this, I love this um, mixture of tones critique that you've got, which is basically just you thinking it's a comedy. No one else in the world does. <laughs> <laughs> this is how this is how I see all comedy. Yeah, exactly, so exactly. <laughs> that great intense psychological thriller, The Office. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, anyway, so that is Sticks and Stones, the new ITV comedy, and that drops on Monday, December the sixteenth at nine p.m. for the lols. Um, <laughs> next up this week, we have the Christmas special of Idris Elba's eighty set comedy in the long run, which charts the fortunes of the Eastman family and involves tripe, Christmas lights, carol singers, and an unexpected labour. Boyd, did this fill you with festive cheer? It did a bit, yeah. So this is a. Sh- I think this is a show that. So I'm, I, you know, I enjoyed the show when it aired, when it debuted. There's been two series of it now on Sky One. It's based on Idris Elba, it's created by Idris Elba, and it's based on his real situation with his father arriving as father, father, father arriving as an immigrant in London, um, on a, living on an estate, and it's kind of. I think what the the trick it pulls is to normally we think of you know this kind of. Scenario: This kind of setting is fairly bleak and grim and grey and miserable, and yet actually 
it kind of it, it, when you're it, it shows it from the child's point of view, from the kid who's being who's got this kind of new uncle in his life, and he's got his dad in his life, and he's got his mates, and he's having a kind of a good time, despite the fact that actually there's racism in eighties Britain, there's um, there's some degree of hardship, but you know there's he's, there's still he is to, to use that phrase living his best life, mm. and it's also rare to see the immigrant experience depicted in a in a in a TV show, let alone a, this is a comedy, James. You're, this is you're supposed <laughs> to laugh. You're absolutely yes, sure this, this wasn't is a psychological. Yeah, this is a half-hour sitcom on Sky One. It's definitely not a thriller, an intense psychological thriller. Okay. And in fact, the tone is interestingly light and kind of frothy and almost like it's very, it's quite plot light as well you know the, the, the plots are like gossamer thin it's basically like oh they're going to have a Christmas party and, and one character's pregnant what's going to happen that's yeah. kind of about it. oh and the kids are going to do some Christmas caroling and they have quite a nice time and it's fine and they do quite a funny rap I just think it's an immensely likeable show yeah um, you know I think everyone in it is 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 having a good time, and that can be really off-putting sometimes. But actually, I think it's kind of, I think it's it, there's an infectious quality to the performances and the writing, and it's not trying to be melodramatic and big, and it's not trying to kind of, it, it's and yet it kind of shows a world that you don't really see very often. So I I, I do enjoy it. This wasn't my favorite episode. I think they're best. I think it felt a little bit like they've done two series, six episodes each, and I think Sky went why don't we do a Christmas special of that thing? And it felt to me like they decided to do that quite late in the day and everyone had to suddenly decide how they were, what they were going to do. And it's Christmassy and it's nice and it's fun, but it is even by the standards of the show, which doesn't rely on plot, as I say, it was very, very thin plot-wise. But nevertheless, I did enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I was, on, I was listening to the episode last week when you were reading out the Christmas scheduling and that is... Um, dry ass turkey meat <laughs> programming right there so I think any chance you get to see a little bit of diversity on screen at Christmas is is very welcome I think it's impossibly naff and like full of sentimentality but that's Christmas you know it's dad's in naff jumpers it's you know too much food it's jingle bells but then it's also got you know a little bit of poignancy like one of the, the cast they have to play a, a Christmas elf and they only have white Christmas elves who's got to wear white elf ears when he's black and mm. little like it sort of deals with things like that and then oh alright well there is a little boy that looks I up know at what him you're say. Yeah. and says I've never seen an elf like you before and oh it, no I've never seen an elf who looks like me before yes. sorry and you're and just like, oh. yeah, yeah so that was you know and it was they did slather on the sugar there but yeah. I was like do you know what I'll have it I'll take it <laughs> so just for the sake as well for just something a little bit different at Christmas something that's just embracing a different culture embracing different cultures coming together at Christmas on an estate and just having a good bloody time together absolutely fine also that i think this feels like the most classic kind of british comedy i mean like this feels like it could have been a christmas special from like 20 years ago and i mean that in a good way there's something quite you know cockle warming and comforting about this and i say it's very light not a lot happens but a there's a husky in it and that's always good for me (laughs) and b there is a mention of shake and vac and i was just like oh my god i'd forgotten shake and vac used to be a thing so that was uh that was nice it does it is nostalgia brilliantly it has all of that stuff all of those references and the music is 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 brilliant as well the joys are in like the little nuances as well Mm. there's a moment where it's just all the men are are shoved into a room together because something happens to the pregnant lady and they're just in there drinking beers trying to avoid the outside Mm. world talking about the state of the the floorboard paint and you know oh that would look nice oh actually I've got some in the shed if you want some and that was a solid five ten minute that's Tarantino caliber conversation right there skirting board chat yeah loved it Wow. Uh, well, that is in the long run the Christmas special. This drops on Sky One and Now TV on Friday, December the 20th at 10pm, the same day 
as another show that we cannot talk about, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, finally this week, though, we have Stephen Knight's take on A Christmas Carol, in which Guy Pearce takes on the mantle of Ebenezer Scrooge and is visited by the obligatory trio of undead in a bid to make him see the error of his ways. Beth, festive cheer or a load of humbug? I'm going to check it out of this and say sort of midline. I think we've got what I've put here is a Scrooge for the Snowflake era. <laughs> what I really liked about this, um, aside from uh, Stephen Graham, who I'm sure we'll dive into in great, he's mm. the patron saint of empire as, as I can piece <laughs> together. But what I really like is you really dive into the psyche of Scrooge. It doesn't really cut corners. It doesn't vilify him instantly. Like you really get a, a proper deep dive into why he is the way he is. And he is a piece of shit. I'm not, yeah. I'm not writing off at all. He's a solid piece of shit. But you get a nice insight into, into kind of the inner workings of his mind. There's humbug and then Sam, I think. There's humbug and F-bombs, I should point out. Oh, which yeah. Is, that was a bit, oh, gave me chills that did. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was unexpected. Yeah. I read one, one review of this before I'd seen it, which said something like... Um, not not suitable for younger children. I'm like, it's not <laughs> the children at all, you no. idiots. It's got fucking in it. It's got, you know, it's it's really bleak. I think the whole point of it feels to me like they've gone Stephen Knight. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he it was his idea mm. of of um, Peaky Blinders and C, your favourite yes, Apple TV, the, James. The masterful C. The masterful C. I, it feels like Stephen Knight's gone, and I, and, I, and I haven't checked this, but it feels to me like he's gone, right, I'm going to do to A Christmas Carol what I do to TV drama generally, which is make it off-kilter and yeah. weird and dark and interesting. And and not absolutely 100% not for children. And this is an ad... It's a 9pm, quite rightly, 9pm post-watershed show. And I, I absolutely fucking loved it, I have to say. I'm a slightly unconvinced by the idea of doing A Christmas Carol again because I feel I've seen yeah. every version of A Christmas Carol since I was eight years yes. old and there have been a lot of them and Scrooge is one of my favourite films Absolutely, 100%. and is a fucking masterpiece yep. and I was like well it can't be better than Scrooge which is a very dark comedy version of the mm. story but I have to say I think Stephen Knight's done it again I think he's he's brilliant at making you look at these things in a, in a different new way and I really did from I had me within the first five ten minutes of, and, and what it very cleverly does as you say Beth is it really focuses on, Eb on Ebenezer's mindset and he's got the, this narrative and he's writing notes and he's writing it's bleak loneliness and clearly recovering from some kind of what he what's happened in his life but it, and yet at the same time you're like oh, he is an absolute shit and they don't soft soap that and I think they also did a really interesting thing with um, with, with um, Stephen Graham's character kind of cutting between the two yeah. who is dead and is and obviously is going to come back and it's and very heavy him. on the Marley like more so than yeah, any other exactly which is new yeah. felt new yeah. Marley's, Marley's experience again mm. is foregrounded and, and is horrible and there's almost like a horror thing going on with his side of yeah. the story yeah. confronted by you know and he's kind of getting used to the fact that he's dead and he's got these horrible people coming back to haunt him who he's, who he's, whose lives he's ruined in the past and I thought just generally the cast the Andy Circus goes to a past brilliant um, the version of Tiny Tim who's not called Tiny Tim just Tim who's played by Lenny Rush is brilliant mm. absolutely brilliant it tugs at your heartstrings really effectively and it somehow avoids being grotesquely sentimental and this, this has, has to be one of the most sentimental yes. things of all time 
I just think it's brilliantly done. Incredibly well directed by Nick Murphy, who did Save Me. It looks great. It takes its time. There's there's a long there are long scenes without any dialogue where you know kind of the characters are getting used to this a new situation, trying to work out what the fuck's going on. Particularly with Scrooge, kind of you know generally about to, where the ghosts are about to come into his life. I just thought it was incredibly effective. Yeah, I love Guy Pearce as well. I yeah, think Guy Pearce. Yeah, he's he's one of those actors that I think really thinks about the roles he takes on. He's not somebody that you'll see. I am. Man 3 maybe is the biggest thing I can think that he's actually been in off the top of my head in terms of like commercial value mm. so I love that I love that they don't underuse if there's one thing I won't abide it's underusing Steve Graham okay, yeah he great, has yeah. his whole this, his whole story all for himself the only thing is because it's Stephen Graham I'm like as if that man has sinned that much that he's been resigned to purgatory like he's lovely he's a lovely man but otherwise no and, and is it Joe Alwyn is yeah, that um, he's great yes yeah that's Bob Cratchit yeah yes. he's fantastic he's a lot of time for him so he's, he's, he's his, his snarky tone is yeah, masterful. it's great, and also yeah. enough to get you fired. I would say, like he was really, he was really he's testing. It. But he that's, again, that's it. really interesting. Yeah, he's testing Scrooge, isn't he, all the yeah. time? And Vinette Robinson, who is also fantastic, who plays his wife. I think the casting is absolutely mm. brilliant. I have to say, yeah. like inspired, brilliant choices to make the whole thing seem much more interesting. I think they could have been. All of this said, I didn't really like it, oh. and uh, so <laughs> Fine. so I know I. I it took me a couple of minutes to sort of get to grips with what it was. I like the f bomb comes quite early on, and I think that almost feels like a mission statement. But equally, yeah. I feel if you're going to have f bombs in it, then having him shout humbug at carol singers seems weird. Like, <laughs> surely he was saying, "Fuck off, you scrounging little shits. Go on, Brain be gone with you." Style. Do you know what I mean? It's, bar humbug feels a little bit like what you say when you can't tell people to go and fuck themselves, not as well as. But that's a minor quibble. I think it's quite languid in that it's like you get to the end of episode one and he hasn't even had a, like he hasn't had one of the ghosts yet he's met you know that like we're quite <laughs> early on one of the ghosts he hasn't had one of <laughs> so the ghosts to speak. Like, the ghost of christmas uh, past has not yet visited so it's quite you know it, it's not a fast-paced story it is heavy on the marley which is interesting it's quite heavy on the crack on, 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 the, on the cratchit as well yes you know and it gives you all this stuff but it's also i think in places a little bit you know, it's a little bit hammy as well. It's a difficult story to actually take seriously and to do dramatically. And I thought the set design was beautiful. I thought the tone was great. I think it's really, really well directed. And I and I always I admire Stephen Knight enormously. And I and I love the fact that he's tried to do this. But you know, this is a show that starts with someone pissing on Jacob Marley's face. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. You know, which is great. What a brilliant but, idea. Yeah, but that's a really. You're odd, saying that like it's a bad thing. No, no, but it's a really odd. Again, we're going to get to my weird genre. Thing. It's a really odd comedic moment that then goes into this really dark and bleak kind <laughs> of thing. We have to expand on that though, because it's not just someone pissing on his face. He's I mean, he's dead, dead in the ground. He's dead in the ground in a grave, yeah. and he pisses on the grave, which then trickles down to the yeah. face. It's yes. not quite as aggressive as just coming up <laughs> but, and pissing right. on Marley's but face. Also, that's a mission <laughs> statement. <laughs> Forget the fuck, the yes. F-bomb. That, yes. The first scene, ingenious yeah. way of, of of showing us this is not your normal Christmas carol thing. This is fucking going to be bleak. And again, you're, you're, you think it's funny. I thought it was bleak and horrible. I was like, oh, this is nasty. It's a nasty, it's a brutal, nasty, realist, somehow trying to do a realist version of this story, of all stories with fucking ghosts, you know. I mean. And sentiment. 
and I think it's doing a brilliant job. I have to you say, say it's nasty. His answer to it is literally to wipe the piss off his face. Say, can't you see? Read the gravestone. It literally says, "Rest in peace." You know, get off my land. <laughs> I mean, the way like... you're performing it, yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm not convinced Stephen Knight intended it to be read like that. I just, I just feel a bit like, like, how many episodes is this? Three. I so it's three, so three hours of Christmas. Yeah, I don't need three no, hours of a Christmas that Carol. That was Momot and Quam. I, I just feel like you know you could have covered this story off in you know ninety minutes max. I mean oh, maybe yeah, even less. And I just I I can't see myself watching the next two. Um, it didn't work. Oh, for me. I will. I'll I did like Stephen Graham. I did like Guy Pierce. But there is an awful lot of time spent discussing you know how many letters are getting written in triplicate and how annoying the Carol singers are and how many revolutions of the rag and bone man's car. I was just like honestly make it stop. <laughs> Yeah, that was that You're was my wrong. only qualm. That was my only qualm. Sitting comfortably in the middle here. That said, there is a magnificent bit of Christmas splaining in it that I very much enjoyed, <laughs> which is when Ebenezer screws the. Oh, I think you'll find there is no mention of Jesus's birthday in the Bible, uh, and indeed it does not. In fact, snow in Palestine, and were it to snow, you would not ride camels through the snow. <laughs> You may be Good completely God. wrong in a gigantic bellend, but your impersonation of um, of Guy Pearce's version of Scrooge is actually remarkably accurate. He does speak in that slightly kind, doesn't he? Because I was going to mention his accent, which is like that, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. it's a Christmas compliment. That. Yeah, you've captured that quite well. But you are fucking wrong about the rest of the show. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> that is A Christmas Carol, which drops on BBC One on Sunday, December the 22nd at 9pm. But more important than any of the shows we have discussed so far this week is, of course, Netflix's The Witcher, which drops on Friday, December the 20th and is something we can't talk about. And why is that, Boyd? Because for reasons unknown, they have embargoed it until yeah. literally the day it airs. So even though it is out this week, we can't review it. And I am finding that... Frustrating. <laughs> but you can say that you've watched six episodes of it. I have and, watched six episodes. And, I've also written a review for mm, Empire Magazine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it is it is weird. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's because it, you know, bearing in mind those Netflix categories that I, I talked about yeah. before, it's definitely not. I'm you know, I'm not making the marker. I'm just saying I don't think it is going to be in the bottom two categories, and potentially could be in the top category. And it's just weird that this huge, big flagship, mm. massively expensive, epic show with Superman in it. We can't review it. Yeah, it's frustrating. So yeah. we will be reviewing this next week because I am absolutely not missing my chance to bang on about The Witcher to everyone's detriment. So we'll do that next week. But, and I'm uh, interviewing him on Monday. You are, because runner, I can't Because you it. can't do it, you I know. absolute loser. I'm really upset. Yeah. I really wanted to do that. Henry Cavill. Yeah, about Henry that. Cavill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I keep calling him and, Superman. And Lauren Schmidt I'm sure you'll love that. At the, what? You're doing Lauren Schmidt history yes. as well, aren't you? Yeah. So many things to discuss, although it might be better for them that I'm not doing it. Probably better for them. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, so The Witcher drops on Friday. I, If I were not embargoed, I might recommend that you watch it, but I will get into this more... You both are doing a terrible job of you know keeping this embargo. I, I, I mentioned awful. this. I had this conversation with someone this week about embargoes. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and um, about a show that was embargoed. And I said, look, in the end, with embargoes, right? Isn't it true that if someone likes something, you don't give a shit if they break the embargo? More, I mean, I'm saying not like a, a ten-page review piece in the Telegraph or something. I'm saying you know, just expressing yeah. the opinion somewhere. And they were like, yeah, you're kind of right. It's like what they it's designed to stop is bad reviews. That's yeah. what they literally designed. But to Sometimes stop. it's about shaping the conversation. It's about making sure that the conversation doesn't peak too early. So, for example, yeah. they've made sex education available to us. Yeah. And I've been storming through that, and I 
That is embargoed until some point. And it's embargoed until some point in January. So but I not, yeah, but not the day it goes out. So yeah. I literally cannot tell you that it's been most of my nicest week and I've loved every second of it. And that's something Listen, I simply can't say. Neither of you going to espionage, neither of you going to the Secret Service, you'd be terrible. I would not trust True. my country in, in, your, in your company, please. Pick of the week? The Witcher. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> no. What, what would you like, would, Beth? What would you, what would be your pick of the week? Uh, n- yeah. n- not six Yeah, uh, I'll go in the long run. Boy. Christmas Carol for sure. Mine is The Witcher. Right. <laughs> let us move on to the Banshee segment where we champion a show of yore for modern audiences. Now, as I do like to fuck about with the format of this show without warning anyone I'm Here simply going to say that this week I shall be playing the role of Terry and judging your Banshees what? now the main reason I'm doing this is because I was writing the Picard feature up until this morning and didn't have a chance to do one of my own but let's just assume that that isn't the reason Here he is. and you can present yours and I shall judge the winner uh, Beth would you like to go first n- not really but I will um, <laughs> I mentioned this the last time I was on and I feel like it deserves its own platform so I've gone for a show called Man Seeking Woman okay uh, this was a show created by Simon Rich, who is a former SNL writer. Uh, he did a show called Miracle Workers either, uh, earlier this year with Daniel Radcliffe, which I haven't seen, but I hear is very good. Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. Um, it's real fucking weird. I love it. And I, I, this is just my strand of weird when it comes to kind of surreal comedies. It's about two awkward boys trying to navigate through dating. One of them is Jay Baruchel, who is Judd Apatow alumnus, voices Hiccup in the Dragon films. And then his kind of partner in crime is Eric Andre, um, who's his best mate. Um, The show starts with him coming out of a long-term relationship and trying to navigate through the world as a a single man. But it's really weird. It just steps out of reality in these really interesting ways. Um, And I showed it to a pal recently. It was referred to me, because it's available, you can stream on Amazon but there's not many places you can really watch it otherwise and I only came across it because a friend of a friend in America said you should watch this if you like things like Chris Morris this is very very much your bag first episode so he goes on a date his sister sets him up on a date and she said you know I really love this girl I think you'll really like her she's moved over she started up this non-profit and he gets to the restaurant and it's a troll like an actual physical troll like a, like an under the bridge troll like or an a, or under a the punky bridge hair troll. troll like an under the bridge troll right and um he sort of looks at her and and says you know she's a troll and she she goes listen i Josh, I didn't think you'd be this close-minded. You know, she's come to start this non-profit. She just, she wants to live under the bridge here and I just thought you'd really get on. And so he's made to feel like the the dickhead in this. And so being a nice, gentle, affable soul goes on this date with this troll and it's incredible. The sister kind of sits off and she's like, oh, mum, he's wearing the jumper. And it's just like adorable. And it's this troll and then the troll halfway through gets annoyed with him and starts attacking him. Um, And then he's made to apologise to the troll. It's great. Bill Hader plays Hitler in the first episode. Um, mad, mad stuff. Some of the some of the humour is a little risky, I will say. Okay. Um, but I'm a massive fan of it. It's three seasons. It's finished now. But I would I would implore you if Chris Morris kind of awkward boy dating vibes. Go for it. You had me with Joe Baruchel and may have lost me with comedy trolls, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We have yet to hear boys. You, you regard it as a psychological thriller, of yeah. course. Oh, it sounded like that. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm doing well. I'm doing. Um, I was inspired by the election. I was thinking, like, what shows have summed up 
I don't know, like a political situation. In a, and also I was thinking of, you know, Boris Johnson, what is he like? And I just remembered a show that um, a character called Bob Buzzard, who was played by David Troughton, who's Patrick Troughton, former Doctor Who's son. David Troughton's a brilliant actor in his own right. And this character, Bob Buzzard, was this slimy, horrible, smug, smooth character. who was like Boris Johnson crossed with David Cameron, kind of like in that mid-level of just posh boy superiority. And he was the, the kind of key character, the kind of villain character if you like in a very peculiar practice which is one of my favourite shows of all time and because it's old because it goes back to like the mid 80s probably some people may not have heard of it you're looking quite blank actually James which is quite oh, I've never heard start. Of it. that's brilliant never heard it, of it is it was It was in um, I think The Guardian did a did their list of like greatest shows of all time it was in like the top 10 I think about a couple of years ago and it is one of my it probably would be in my top 20 shows of all time it was created by Andrew Davis who then went on to, to be the man who writes you know adaptations of all the period dramas Pride and Prejudice etc still doing it to this day in his 80s but this was an original um, series that he created and it's all set in a medical centre on a university campus it stars Peter Davison there's a lot of Doctor Who elements because Peter Davison's in it former Doctor Who and there's was David Trout as I mentioned and he's like the kind of every man sweet nice decent guy who arrives in this weird encloistered bubble of a world of the university where people are there's like seething jealousy and and, and there's sexual things going on there's there's a brilliant episode all about um, sexually transmitted diseases on campus there's brilliant there's brilliant academic characters Barbara Flynn plays a fantastic phenomenal bisexual professor and she's amazing it deals with like it talks about feminism and um homophobia and all that all that stuff in a really in in the middle of the 80s in a really interesting way because people think all this stuff's only happened recently but actually it was all going on back then brilliant decades ago and this show a very very peculiar practice dealt with it in a really amazing fascinating way it was great were there comedy trolls (laughs) <laughs> there were no comedy trolls, no. It was very much a realist comedy thing. Now, I have to say, that show sounds more appealing. But, Boyd, frankly, I need to get my vengeance on you for winning the last seven weeks. So, Beth hey, wins! Hey, hey, I don't want a political win. <laughs> you get this a political win. I don't always win. Not victory. No, I want to earn it. Boyd wins. Although I was utterly disqualified last week. As someone pointed out, I did uh, Big Love, which Terry had done 30 episodes previously. Yeah, that's classic. That was so, classic. yeah, that's classic me not paying attention to what she said. <sighs> right, that was the Banshee segment, and that is it for our Terry-free episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then why not show your appreciation either in the form of a cashier's check or as five stars on iTunes. If you'd like to contribute to our need for validation and boost our self-esteem on social media, then do follow us at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. We'll be back next week for our last podcast of the year. That's if you don't count our review of the year podcast special, which will go up afterwards, but we will, at that point, finally be able to talk about The Witcher, and we might just get into Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss's Dracula as well. Until then, though, pilot out.